James Corbett of The Corbett Report with your Sunday update for this 17th day of April 2011. And now for the real news. The issue of criminal culpability for the largest financial fraud in the history of human civilization has finally hit the pages of the so-called paper of record for the United States, the New York Times. On April 14th, the paper ran a report by Gretchen Morganson and Louise Story under the headline, In Financial Crisis, No Prosecutions of Top Figures, that finally brought mainstream attention to the question of why bankers and financial executives have avoided criminal proceedings for their part in the worldwide economic meltdown of 2008. The article also revealed a secret policy by the SEC to limit civil actions against some of the big financial institutions. The Securities and Exchange Commission adopted a broad guideline in 2009, distributed within the agency but never made public, to be cautious about pushing for hefty penalties from banks that had received bailout money. The agency was concerned about taxpayer money, in effect, being used to pay for settlements. Others, including rogue economic analyst Max Kaiser, have gone several steps further than the Wall Street Run and CIA-friendly New York Times in seeking justice for these financial crimes against humanity. Max, uh, why do we keep asking this question? Maybe we should start hanging bankers. Twice, <laughs> Let, let's start hanging bankers. Right. I think that could be a solution. Hang, hanging. Even in the whooping that it was a bit of doubt. But, but, <laughs> but it's I mean, the it's, aristocrats before the French Revolution. We won't feel better about ourselves if, if we murder a whole section of the community. I'd feel great only, about it. Only some of whom have done nothing wrong, and at worst it was financial malpractice. Uh, well, the problem, David, is that you have no regulator on the scene. The FSA here in London uh, let Bernie Madoff and AIG get through without a, a look at them. Uh, the SEC in the United States, just like Goldman Sachs, uh, sell crap securities, as they call them. They call them crap and shit. They sell them to their own customers and made money selling these crap to their own customers. Yeah. Then the serious fraud office right here in the UK, remember a couple of years ago, uh, BAE and uh, the Prince of Bandar had a multi-hundred million dollar slush fund and the serious fraud office yeah, okay, couldn't prosecute okay, well, because we... Tony Blair said, no, go ahead. It's okay. Well, now we that's know, unconscionable. We... That's why I say let's hang some bankers. Yeah. I, I... <laughs> the Times piece was followed almost immediately by reports that Goldman Sachs CEO and a man who once described himself to be doing God's work, Lloyd Blankfein, may face criminal prosecution for his role in the crisis. Carl Levin, chair of the Senate Permanent Subcommittee on Investigations, is set to refer Blankfein and other Goldman Squid executives to the Justice Department for possible criminal prosecution following a finding that Goldman lied to their clients about their holdings in the troubled housing market and then misled Congress about those actions. Why would Goldman deny what is so obvious that they were engaged in a huge short in the year 2007? Why would they deny it? because they gained at the expense of their clients, and they used abusive practices to do it. I want to walk you through some emails. Here, National Australian Bank asks Goldman's Benjamin Case about a collateralized debt obligation that was losing value. He says, does GS hold any of this? He gets the reply, well, definitely own equity and different pieces of various tranches. Don't know exactly, but a decent size and a number of classes on our books. That answer didn't satisfy the bank. They follow up again. Could you please follow up with what Goldman holds? 
They didn't really get an answer. The report says Goldman held a $6 million equity piece, but also a 100% short position on the other side of $2 billion. Now, the Senate report also faults Deutsche Bank, saying the company created a $1.1 billion CDO that it's, with assets that its traders refer to as crap, and then attempted to sell, quote, before the market falls off a cliff. Although the news that Blank Fine and other Wall Street bankers may be prosecuted for their crimes will come as a relief to many, Others are speculating that the foot-dragging by the American Justice Department and the Securities and Exchange Commission in these proceedings is designed to lend credence to international institutions that are set to be strengthened in a so-called new international financial order. Now, the so-called BRICS countries of Brazil, Russia, China, India, and South Africa are stepping up their efforts to dump the U.S. dollar as the world reserve currency in favor of a new international reserve system that will be more favorable to the developing nations. Last week, the head of the China Development Bank, Chen Yuan, announced that the CDB was preparing to establish a 10 billion yuan loan fund for other BRICS members denominated in local currencies. Now, the G20 has decided that it is going to step up its oversight over individual member nations' economies in order to prevent a repeat of the 2008 meltdown. In order to avoid a repeat of the global financial crisis, the G20 nations have decided to put the policies of seven of its members, the US, China, Britain, Germany, France, India and Japan, under the microscope. The IMF will seek out imbalances in debt, trade and budget deficits, although its conclusions will not be binding. So the guidelines operate a little bit like, like, like a, a net, uh, which actually holds those of the countries that... Uh, violate or do not respect the guidelines. And the net is a little bit tighter for those countries that are considered of systemic importance because they represent more than 5% of the GDP of the G20. It remains to be explained how putting more power in the hands of so-called regulators at an international level will solve a problem created by a collusion between regulators and banksters at a national level. Instead, real economic analysts are noting that this will only make the international financial order even more of a network of cronies run by and for the banksters for the express purpose of exploiting the vast mass of humanity and their labor for the rest of human history. In other news, U.S. President Barack Obama, British Prime Minister David Cameron, and French President Nicolas Sarkozy have admitted that they were lying when they said that regime change was not the aim of their military action in Libya which they initially attempted to disguise as a humanitarian intervention. In a startling admission, the trio penned an op-ed for the New York Times last week that confirmed what the alternative media has been saying since the start of this conflict, that the end goal of the war is to force Gaddafi from office. In an Orwellian display of doublespeak, the leaders wrote, Our duty and our mandate under UN Security Council Resolution 1973 is to protect civilians, and we are doing that. It is not to remove Qaddafi by force. But it is impossible to imagine a future for Libya with Qaddafi in power. In order for that transition to succeed, Qaddafi must go and go for good. Not a single representative of the so-called media has so far questioned the leaders on how they can say that the goal of the war is not to remove Qaddafi from power at the same time as they say that the war will not end until Qaddafi has been removed from power. Meanwhile, in an embarrassing turn of events for the three criminal leaders of the occupying NATO empire, on the very same day that their doublespeak editorial was running in the New York Times, another article elsewhere in the paper 
blithely admitted that the Arab uprisings occurring across North Africa and the Middle East have been funded, trained, supplied, and fomented with help from American government and NGO organizations. A number of the groups and individuals directly involved in the revolts and reforms sweeping the region, the paper reported, received training and financing from groups like the International Republican Institute, the National Democratic Institute, and Freedom House, a nonprofit human rights organization based in Washington. Oddly, the Times article neglected to mention that the board of the International Republican Institute contained such warmongering luminaries of the military government establishment as John McCain and Brent Scowcroft, that the board of the National Democratic Institute boasts perennial warmongers of the phony left, like Madeleine Albright and James Wolfenson, or that Freedom House is a Soros-funded tool of destabilization to install Western-friendly puppet regimes in countries throughout the world. Look for the mainstream media to continue ignoring the fact that the so-called freedom fever sweeping the Arab states is in fact a gambit on the part of the Western political elite power players and unproblematically trumpeting each new uprising in the region as a spontaneous people's uprising that just happens to further isolate Iranian, Chinese, and Russian interests in the region in the preliminary stages of World War III. Now please go to CorbettReport.com to download episode 182 of the Corbett Report podcast, Requiem for the Suicided, Kenneth Trenadu, where we talk to the Salt Lake City-based attorney who has been trying to find out the truth about his brother's death and its relation to the Oklahoma City bombing.